Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What really happens during a near-death experience? Are spirit guides what they appear to be? Could you be one of your own guardian angels? Hey there, and welcome to the 529th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those ultimate questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, we welcome a very well-known guest to talk about his very unusual experience. And we welcome calls this evening. The number is 401-766-1240, and from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240. And just a reminder, before we introduce our distinguished guest, we have the drawing this evening for two free tickets to the New, the Para, New England Parafest on April 26th in Nashville, New Hampshire, at which Ben and I will be speakers, among other people. And so stay tuned for that toward the end of the show. Richard Bach is one of the world's best-selling authors, having written 25 books that I know of. He, his 1970 classic, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, Number one on the New York Times bestseller list for two consecutive years. He was, by the way, my mother's, your grandmother's favorite author, Ben, uh, for the rest of her life. Oh, really? Oh, oh, absolutely. I I, I didn't know that. Yes. I consider uh, Richard Bach one of the founders of the modern New Age movement, that is my opinion. A former United States Air Force fighter pilot, Richard continues to be an avid aviator. It was while flying his powerful little seaplane Puff in 2012 that he experienced a crash. The aftermath resulted in his latest book, Illusions 2, the subject of our discussion this evening. So, Richard Bach, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. My goodness. Hi. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get started uh, with the crash. So what went wrong that day? Well, it it turned out to be a blessing. It wasn't an accident. Uh, It was was a, a... it was a beautiful experience. I was I was landing on, in a in a farmer's field, and uh, there are wires uh, toward toward the end of it. I didn't see any wires, but uh, my right wheel caught the wire. It pitched the little airplane upside down and smashed it into the ground. Ouch! I had I. Had I been looking at the movie of that, I would have said, oh, what a terrible way to die, this poor guy. But but that wasn't true for me. Uh, for me, I, I, I came right very, very close to the, to, the, to the land. I could hear the grass tops just flicking against the bottom of my wheels. And all of a sudden, I couldn't see anything. I said, well, what, what's happening here? Oh, I thought I was flying. But I'm not flying. I'm having a dream. Yeah, Richard, can I ask you to speak up a little bit, please? Uh, okay. I want to make sure everybody how about gets... one, two, three, four, five, four, three, two, one? How about this? Perfect. Okay. Uh, he's the sound expert. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I, I thought I was having a dream, and in this dream, I was I was floating along this beautiful, beautiful countryside, and I, I didn't know what kind of machine I was in was some kind of a room up, up in the air, 1,500 feet. And someone said, uh, do you want to go back to your life on Earth? I said, well, that's a strange thing to say in my dream. Um, well, I'll think about it. And they twice, the, the, the question, do you want to go back? And finally I said, yes, I, yes, I would. this is very interesting. And, and 
I imagine I'm, I'll see this sometime in my. But no, I don't want to just disappear in a in a in an airplane crash. And I blink my eyes, and I was in a hospital. I said, "What is this? I've never been in a hospital." And then, what what is this about? And I was tied with all kinds of tubes and things, and it had been uh, seven days. I'd been in in a coma. It felt to me, it felt like. 15 minutes, maybe a half an hour. And uh, and I had a totally different idea of what had happened. My my mind had, had played this illusion for me that there was a gentle uh, landing. And later on, I, I heard what really happened, that, that it just, it, the airplane just, well, it was just destroyed. And... Uh, so I thought about that for a long time and uh, did some reading and I discovered that a lot of people have had this wonderful event of a near-death experience. And the strange thing about it was for, for so many of them, if they were asked one word, what, t- tell me one word, what do you feel about this? And they said, homesick. I'm homesick. And for a while I thought that that didn't apply to me, and yet it does now. It was it was a beautiful time and it was such a education. There's no such thing as death. We go from from one life experience to another. And I thought about the friends that I've had. I've been flying airplanes for I don't know, 50, 60 years. And I'd, every once in a while, I would, there would be, particularly in the military, there'd, there'd be an explosion, there'd be flames and all that sort of thing. I'd say, oh, it's a terrible way to die. And finally, I realized that that wasn't true for them. It's true for us as observers to see it, but not for them. It's a beautiful experience for them. So finally, I got to have this event in which I learned that for myself. And I hope I could, uh, I could tell it to other people who who felt that they had someone that they loved uh, that died, and and they didn't die. Okay, Ben, did I, maybe you answered the second question? I don't yeah, 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 you just you rolled right on through <laughs> the next one. <laughs> so naturally, this prompts uh, two hundred other questions. Now, um, oh, good. I, I don't flatter myself that you've read any of my books. However, we, we we hear you, Richard. We hear what you're saying. All right. However, you've got a bunch of hard-headed New Englanders listening, uh, many of whom are stuck in traffic in our time zone right now. So, <laughs> so um, I'll have to ask you a few things. All right. What What is your opinion of the opinion that when near-death experiences occur, and we'll get into the nature of those in a minute, when they occur that it's just neurons firing haphazardly sure. in the brain and That's great. this sort yeah. of thing. I mean, I, 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 no, I'm, I'm kind of with you, but what, what do you think yeah. about that? Oh, whoever believes that, they're certainly free to believe that. But well, once, sure. they, once they have an experience like that, there's no question. Well, exactly, me, but once it happens to you, you know. Yeah, and, and I, I can't uh, decide what, what they need to believe. If they want to believe that we're trapped on this little, this little planet, and that when it's over, everything goes black. They're absolutely free to believe that. Um, 
but those of us who have had this experience would, would just smile and say, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I've, uh, I've been in the military, too, a uh, couple of hairy situations, things like that, and uh, I relate very, very personally to what you say about when you observe these things happening. Yeah. However, um, in other work, the conclusion that I started to come to in the late 70s, and I'm a little younger than yourself, probably not a lot, was that we're dealing with something really pretty amazing here that kind of goes beyond the spiritual. So hence the subject of spirit guides, okay? Uh Now, during your experience of having crashed and to the casual observer probably being in a heap there under your plane or something, um, what happened to you in, in your own consciousness or subconsciousness regarding what are commonly known as spirit guides? I wonder. I didn't see anybody on, and, and on this other side. I, the, somebody said, you know, do you want to go back to, to your life on Earth? I, di- I didn't see them. Uh, I believe that there's part of us within us that's already a spirit guide, that, that's our highest self. And it, it is untouched by our beliefs of death and disaster. It, mm-hmm. you, can, you can have those if you want to, sure. They're not true. You will, <laughs> right. you will go on and on and on, and you'll be learning every, every part of this life and every part of, of lives that come after that. You'll learn more and more about what is your relationship to love. And this is silly for me. I've been flying airplanes my whole life, and I, I started with all the, the technical stuff about about flying, and and gradually I've I've changed it in this life to recognize the most important thing is to recognize our oneness with love. Love is always with us; it is never left. But we believe that we are separated from it, and because we believe that, we have. Uh, all kinds of experiences in this world of space and time. Uh, love is not affected by space and time. No. And uh, so I, I enjoy uh, believing that and uh, and gradually learn a little more, a little more. I've been reading a lot uh, recently of uh, other people's experiences, which are, are all well, many of them are very, very different from mine, and, that, yes. and, that, and, and that's okay. It, it's a, it's a, a belief that we have that is real for us until we learn more. And uh, I like being one who gradually learns more. Well, as do I. So, this is sort of a question that just popped in, into mind for me. When people throw around terms like higher self and all that stuff, why the self? It's a, a personal window for us to have a, a connection with that part that seems so personal. It, it says, uh, right now, uh, okay, you're going through what you call a difficult time. Uh, remember that you're here to learn something, that this is a test for you. This is not just something that happened. Uh, there's a reason for everything. And that person or that, that entity, whatever it is, that suggests that 
is to us a, a very close and a very loving kind of spirit, if you will. God. Um, well, yeah, you can you can say God if you want to. Right. Um, I think God is, has been so used by so many people that I, I don't like. I, I can I can say love, and that'll be God too. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Sure. Uh, back in the olden days when I was starting out, I also uh, had would hear much of what you're saying. Perhaps not what you're saying, but the terms you use. Yeah. Uh, God may have baggage, but so does uh, the psychic, you know, the spiritual terms, sure. things of that kind. Yeah. And I used to roll my eyes. However, when I got into quantum mechanics uh, later on in the 70s and 80s, because uh, I just, I, I just, what we I was seeing in paranormal work in the trenches, it, the, the spiritualist theories just didn't do it. I mean, there was so much more to it, seemingly. Yeah. The whole idea of the higher self in this business. Yeah. The notion of the self uh, held up against the notion of universal love, as you might call it, or the unity, as I call it, whatever terms you want to use. Sure. There was a problem with the Western mind, the way the Western mind thinks of things. I, I, I think, having read your books, uh, that you would agree. Um, and so I, I began to look at some of these ideas, and now Ben and I take a serious look at, at the, the multiple worlds idea oh, in yeah. quantum mechanics. And yeah. that seemed to explain, at least more fully than anything else, how all this works, why you would crash in a plane and immediately be aware of another life. You know, perhaps a, a more enlightened, if you were, hence the higher self idea. You, you can kind of see how it all fits together, at least that's our opinion. So what say you on all that? I mean, is is the um, is it bigger than the Western mind generally can can oh, grasp, or is it uh, we're getting into serious quantum stuff here? Oh, sure. And there's a, you're aware of it. A, a beautiful uh, book by Hugh Everett the Third called "The Many Worlds Interpretation of Quantum." Oh, Mechanics. I read it ten times. Oh yeah. Yeah, I wrote it in the fifties. Yeah. And and he he wrote that and. And quantum uh, 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 physicists at that time said, this guy is crazy. He, mm -hmm. he just has it all wrong. Uh, and and now they're thinking of, of, of what he's saying and saying, you know, he was absolutely right. And, uh, and the idea that there's many worlds, that every instant, every decision we make, we split that world. Right. And it splits, and it splits, and it, and so forth, and so on. And so we we walk in our consciousness of of one that that seems to be the only one there is, but there's so many more. It, it's just fascinating to see the the possibilities that come of a, of a of a thought like this. Oh, it's true. And it's a reminder for us is we don't we don't always have to to turn right at, <laughs> at every fork, every decision we have. We, we can turn all kinds. We can turn up, we can turn down and uh, three quarters to the left and so forth. We can have a, a fascinating lifetime playing with this idea. So sure, I'm, absolutely, I'm, I completely agree with that. So uh, let's get a, a bit into the, uh, the near-death experience thing. What was your... Uh, from our side of the works here, what was your physical condition in the crash? W were you clinically dead, or what was the story there? Um, that's a that's a good question. I 
I'm not sure if I was clinically dead or not. Uh, I I had no recollection whatever of having somebody um, pull me out of the, the the cockpit and then the helicopter flew me and all. That's that's all completely gone. And in its place is this thing, much of which I don't remember of these days that I was gone. I I vaguely remember something some kind of agreement I made with the spirit of the little airplane. I've flown this little airplane a lot, and I got so that I've I've had 41 airplanes. This one, more than any other, I have little conversations with. And they're they're in my mind, I guess, but there's there's something there. And I, I decided I... I had to rebuild that airplane. I was in the hospital and I was awake there. I said, I have to rebuild Little Puff. And somebody would say, well, why? You can get another airplane. I said, no, no, it has to be. And so the, there was this this conversation with the spirit, which was untouched completely with me and with the wreckage of who she was that was, that was in my brought to my hangar all, all the bent uh, pieces of it the, the, what, what was left of the wings and so forth yeah I've seen pictures yeah. and it was uh, it was essential to rebuild it and sure enough in time in a year I, I shipped that to Florida and she was beautifully rebuilt and I flew her again and that sense of being with someone well, with yeah, with being someone who had been killed and who was was now ready to fly again, that meant so much for me. And so we began to talk, and, and it was it was different. She didn't talk much at all when when I flew her again, and after the fifth, halfway through the fifth flight, was. She's a seaplane, and I land on a lake, and I was just uh, starting another uh, another takeoff and thinking about this, about all the technical things about a takeoff. And she said hi, <laughs> and that's and that's all she said. And then gradually after that, she began to talk a little bit more. Um, so this is for uh, for other people. This is crazy stuff. Uh, for me, it isn't. Well, you know, let me let me ride to your defense in a way because uh, I can certainly see a lot of people, you know, rolling their eyes or something. Maybe sure. listening to that, especially in this on this coast. Um, and uh, I I have always been a person of um, I try I, I'm always with the more academic um, side of the ben, Paul and Ben team here. Ben Ben is more uh, intuitive. Uh, however, you know, when one interacts with Anything, uh, any Native American will tell you there is a certain, whether you call it spirit, energy flow, consciousness, nexus, or something, between, among all things. I mean, I don't think there's any such thing as an inanimate object. You know? Wonderful. And, uh, no, I mean, you just, uh, from, even from my, um, dry ivory tower scholarly approach, I mean, it's obvious. <laughs> you know, so, so I, I hear what you're saying. And it's funny, we've, we've had, uh, 
you know, you are, of course, a, a, a one distinguished name among many, if we may say so, who have been guests on this show. Um, and we, uh, I'm thinking back to Ben to uh, Fred Allen Wolf, Doctor Fred Allen Wolf. The that was a fun time. time. Yeah, that was a fun time. That Hell was, yeah. and uh, he he saw exactly what we would were saying, and and what you would be saying. Um, you know, sort of one of the greatest scholars in the world, and only a few weeks ago, uh, Professor Ahmed Gaswami, the uh, physicist slash mystic, uh, who has a little bit different interpretation of the multiverse, but nevertheless accepts it. And, and uh, we had a wonderful conversation with him. What did, what did he say? Uh, ask wonderful question, question get, get wonderful, wonderful answer. answer. So, <laughs> <laughs> that was great. So in any case, um, so uh, we're with you. I don't know if some of our poor commuters are right now, but we'll see. Um, well, one of the issues, Richard, with uh, the Western mind, and we're constantly frustrated by that, is um, what I call sort of the, the island theory of the human being, the fierce individualism and self-obsession that, that, that many of us sort of grow up with. And with all due respect to the founders of our country, the individual really doesn't exist in any and Gaswami says that he says it's more of a sense of self-reference and as 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 we put it the individual is a a um uh sort of unique expression of all of us and vice versa so with that in mind did, did you as you learn as you as you learn from this experience did you learn anything about yourself as an individual versus or with yourself as part of the unity um, I, I don't buy that at all, at least in, in my experience. Uh, it's always been, for me, it's always been an individual choice of this is the way I'd like my life to go. Ah. Sometimes it goes that way, sometimes it doesn't. I, I learn in, in, at, at every corner. Um, but I, I began flying, and when I was in the Air Force, uh, I was flying a, a single-seat airplane. And everything depended on whatever I thought was the, <laughs> the right thing to do. And that managed to work uh, pretty well. And then as I flew civilian airplanes, it, it always came back to the same thing. What's your choice? Came over and over and over. What's your choice? There's weather ahead. You're going to fly through it and switch into instrument uh, flying conditions. Okay, I can do that. Or, uh, my goodness, it looks like a thunderstorm. Um I, I had an experience with a thunderstorm, and I don't want to have more, so I'll I'll divert. I'll land in this little field if I have to, and let the let the thunderstorm go. So it's always been personal choice, and that's still a very important part of my life. I don't have a sense that I'm I'm one with um, a, a large group of people. Interesting. And, and I've got to maybe I've got to learn that. And if I do, then there'll be uh, a series of experiences to me that will teach me that. But uh, so far, I'm not there. Well, maybe maybe we, we might ask, uh, what? How has what you described as personal choice? What is that? How how does that, in any way, um, obviate? Uh, sort of uh, disagree with what we said. Why can't there be both as, as a sort of harmony? Oh, uh, I I don't know. I all I know is my my own world as it's presented itself to me in in this experience as a mortal in space time. I know there's a whole lot of other things that I don't know that I've learned in, in other life experiences, uh, and 
when it's time for me to, to uh, realize that, it will come come true for me. I can be completely wrong, too. And we I, can all I, be completely wrong, and usually sure. are. <laughs> That's right. But I, but I enjoy the path of learning that I've had for all these years, and uh, and it's it's fun for me. Oh, even, absolutely. Yeah, the, the the crash. Oddly enough, uh, nothing hurt for me, uh, and and even when I was in the hospital, it was. I, they said, well. They said to my my friend Sabrina. They said they told her, "Well, uh, Richard may never be able to stand again and never walk. Uh, he may not be able to understand if he reads. Uh, he may not speak. All this stuff." And uh, so we had a uh, an agreement that we wouldn't listen to that at all. That we would say, "I am a perfect expression of perfect love here and now, and there'll be no." Uh, uh, results of this event, and I said Good that for you. thousands of times, over and over and over. Even in the midst of the hospital, that said, "Well, this person is uh, is in real trouble." I said, "I am not in, in trouble. I am a perfect already." And as I did that, they called me the Miracle Man there <laughs> for <laughs> some reason because it was a very swift. Uh, correct and very swift healing of the problems that I had and uh, within I think it was eight months or something it seemed like a long time to me yeah, well, I remember it was all uh, over the news oh yeah, yeah. yeah it was it was step by step by step just literally step by step mm-hmm. uh, and finally I got to the point where I was um, I was walking with with my dog and then running with my dog and then uh, finally I was uh, flying across the country and and flying a little puff again, and, and so forth. Uh, that's, well that seemed seem nor- normal to me. So. Okay. Well, we're going to take our uh, commercial break at the bottom of the hour here. We'll be right back with Richard Bach. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stick with us. Hello, this is Manny Brando reminding you that my show is on Owen every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. You forget about me. What about you? Virginia Brando, your co-host. You and I are going to have a talk. Again? Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. And we just wanted to remind you of a few of the charities Ben and I have adopted on our show. Uh, one, of course, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. Our good friend Tony Loray, who was our guest last week, using ancient wisdom to help at-risk youth. Wonderful group, youthmentoring.org. Check out what they're doing out in L.A. Also, several veterans charities, of course. Uh, uh, certainly, I'm trying to figure so many. USACares.org, wonderful group that helps veterans and their families financially. Uh, short of a mortgage payment that month, out goes a check from these great folks. Help people all over the country. Uh, also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy for our brothers to the north. And uh, wonderful folks uh, up there in Ontario. Bill, uh, I should say Mike Blaze, helps with advocacy on the federal and uh, provincial levels for uh, all those uh, who have served in Canada, uh, certainly in the war on terror and uh, other other uh, peacekeeping operations, things of that kind that uh, have been uh, uh, staffed by them for, for so very long. 
Uh, also, um, what else we got? We got uh, quite a few others. Of course, locally, buildershelpingheroes.org, which has just built a home for a wounded Marine in Burrowville, Rhode Island, right in our immediate listening area. And check that out as well, buildershelpingheroes.org. So let's get back to our guest, Richard Bach, certainly one of the world's most famous authors, and having a great conversation now about his uh, experience, a rather positive one, during a plane crash in 2012. And, uh, Ben, did you have a question before I start? Because I want to get going here. Uh, I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. Oh, and also, let me do something I always forget. Let's give our phone numbers again. Uh, locally, 401-766-1240. And from anywhere in the U.S. and Canada, 1-800-449-1240. Just remember that, 1240. Okay, uh, Richard, um, in reference to um, so, some of the criticism of your books, uh, people really love your books, but a lot of people think uh, that they're a little bit too syrupy or even maudlin. How do you, how do you respond to people who say that? Uh, I, I, I don't need to respond to them. That's absolutely fine for them to think. I, I know that, that every writer has a certain family around the world, and it's a very tiny family, but if you come to all the readers that, 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 that could be, uh, just one, one fraction of a percent, but they're the ones that I write for. And I'm sorry if it sounds uh, uh, difficult for other people. It, it doesn't for me. And uh, and for the the people who, who enjoy my my uh, my books, uh, that's fine too. So I know that if someone doesn't like what I write. What they will, they do have a, a family that's uh, some, somebody else, and then that, that's great. I, I, I like the way that works. Well, that's good. Same with me. I hear I, my last book. People either love it or hate it. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, in any case, uh, the um, the idea of, of death. Now, I don't believe in it either. However. Um, one thing I do have an issue with it, I suppose in a way this kind of individualizes it too, we very often have people who will say uh, a lot of things like, like you know, this, there's, all, you know there's hope, there's, there's always hope, but the, that it's always warm and fuzzy, you know. Yeah. But uh, my question to them is always, uh, and I would ask you what your opinion might be, suppose somebody is uh, the Lanza guy in New England here who killed all those children in Newtown. Suppose it's, it's, a, it's a child molester, some horrible... Yeah. So, so so ferociously self-centered that they destroy others. I mean, yeah. I can't believe they have positive experiences. Where you know, if they're in a plane crash, I don't know what's they now, do. Uh, it, I think it depends a lot on on where our thought is. If we if we if we believe that this is a a beautiful world, that there's questions that that we don't know about, but that this that our path is one that's positive for us. That, I think, uh, informs the next world, so-called, uh, of where we are. If we have a, 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 a sense of this is an evil place and that uh, everyone is out to get me, then they'll, then that will be part of their next experience. They'll, they'll have other people who believe the same way with them, and, but, yeah. uh, and none of it's true, right? Mm -hmm. it, it there is only one reality. Everything else is illusion. 
that one reality is love, period. It is not judgmental. If anyone judges us, it's us. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good way to have it. You know, I, I think I'm remarkably in agreement. I think we, we use different terms, but we may be saying something rather similar, although maybe I'm a little more, uh, I don't know, as I said, you know, uh, a little bit more, more down, down to earth in some of the way I might express things. However, you know, I hear what you're saying, Richard, I really do. Yeah. We, um, I, I always say that uh, you make your own bed in the multiverse in yeah, our, well our lingo. Well you know? said, yeah. You know? And and that that you um, and people always ask us. This is the ultimate question, you know. People, I, I've had because I studied. Uh, I was in the military, but I also studied in the seminary. I, I never quite made it anywhere because they threw me out. They didn't like my paranormal work. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, we both had a lucky escape, the church <laughs> and myself. So uh, people often ask, well, you, you gave up that, that career. You could have done all this good and da 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 da." And and uh, they said, "Would you do that for any other type of journalist or very you know successful yeah. locally?" And I said, you know, what is more important than ultimate questions, such as we're discussing tonight? You know, at the end of the day, as the cliche goes, uh, when you face what is commonly thought of as death, you know, your bank account, your all this stuff, it, it really won't make any difference to you. You know, I think ultimately, it's what bed you've made for yourself. Exactly right. And and that's that's how I see it. So as I say, I may use different terms, but um, no. so what, what, do you believe in one of the things too that we discuss? Uh, and I'm just bouncing all sorts of ideas off you here because you've sure. stimulated some thinking. We talk a lot, of course, about reincarnation because that is a common belief. Uh, however, if you look at physics, um, and you obviously know something about that, and uh, I suppose Einstein's interpretation, there is no time, there is no past, so the past lives may very well be parallel lives, and we get into this with regression therapists, things of this kind, and uh, maybe six of one, half dozen of the other, but it does kind of change the nature of it. What is your view on reincarnation? It's an interesting thought that we live one life, and then we live another one, and live another, and that's awfully limited. Uh, why don't we have all our lives simultaneously? No, precisely. And there's no no time involved at all. But we can we can choose if we want to. We can focus our our concentration down to just one life that has its opportunities for change and so forth, uh, and be unaware of all the other us's that are out there learning themselves and I, I don't know how to uh, how to uh, imagine the, the, the time that, were, that we would meet them but they're they're there now and, and the, the multiverse is uh, is a beautiful thing I um, think so yeah elegant they, and uh, perfect in it in its uh, sure, in its symmetry yeah. let me just interrupt you Richard we have a caller I believe it's uh, been a Scott from Uxbridge, Massachusetts. Okay, Scott, Hello, welcome gentlemen. to the show. Hi, how are you? Good. You have a question for Richard Bach. Well, you know, I just kind of want to back up what he's talking about, this relationship he had with his airplane. Yeah. And for those that are poo-pooing that whole nonsense, like, oh, well, that's just a bunch of nonsense. You can't, you can't have a relationship with a non-animate you know, object. I had a car that I just uh, gave up last summer. For another car. Yeah, I had had it for 12, 14 years. 
and it was a wonderful car to me. And I always felt very akin to this car. Yeah. Uh, just as an example, uh, one time I hadn't gotten gas when I should have, but where did I run out of gas? Right in my driveway. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And it was like the car said, oh, Scott, I'll get you home. You know, and I ran out of gas in my driveway. And, I relate to one, that. Yeah. yeah. And one time I, I had a, a, an ignition problem with it. But where was it? At a mall. I was somewhere safe. Yep. That happened <laughs> to me, too. I had the, the the thing, you know, I was picking up Ben. He commutes to Boston, heaven help him. And uh, the thing blew up. I don't know it blew up. Maybe the, the radiator blew up right there in the, the MBTA parking lot in Franklin, Mass. And uh, it couldn't have been, if it had to happen, it couldn't have been in a better place. So I see what you mean. Well, okay. yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It's like this car never left me stranded anywhere, like, you know, on Route 495 at 2 in the morning or anything like that. Yeah, and yeah. last summer, it was just time to get another car. It simply was, you know. Yeah. And the day I was bringing it to the dealership, I didn't have to do this. But what I did, because they already accepted the car and all of that. But, you know, I said, you know, I, you've been a great car to me and a good friend. I want you to go out in style. I, wa- I took it out of my driveway. I washed it. I vacuumed it. <laughs> oh. I wanted this car looking really good and proud of itself. That's great. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And and when I was getting it, I brought it to the dealership. When I was getting out of it, you know, I, I just patted it on the the uh, the dashboard and I said, you know, thank you so much for being a good friend. And oh. I felt bad. I felt like I was leaving a good friend. Richard, so, what say you? Uh, I, I absolutely. I'm reminded of a time uh, went back when I was in the Air Force. I I had flown a a, a night flight. I landed in uh, uh, Arizona, and it was the airport was was dark. I was alone there. I closed the canopy, put the cover on it, and as I walked away from the airport, I said uh, from the airplane, I said, "Why is it that we who fly you? Why is it that we're that we're so in love with you? Because after all, everything about you is it's steel and." and metal and there there are books that say exactly how you're how you uh, how you're built how you fly and i just kind of shook my head and as i did i heard this voice in the back of my man my my mind that said why is it that we airplanes are so interested in you pilots because after all you're just uh, physiology there's a book that says everything about your your blood and your bones and i stopped and i went back and i kissed it on the nose that was that was beautiful well yeah, yeah it's no, true i'm that, sorry go ahead yeah. scott no 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 it's like when you kissed it on the nose that's like when i pat it on the dashboard saying hey thank you for being such a good friend and i really yeah. felt like i was leaving a friend yep yep very true and every once in a while this is very private stuff we're talking here but, uh, yeah, it is. There, there are people that I've met that I happen to be with them when they put their airplane after a flight to put it back in the hangar, and uh, I and again uh, she'll kiss it on that little spinner and pat it and say thank you. And well, you I, know, it's funny looking back in the military. I, I was not a pilot myself, but I knew uh, particularly uh, helicopter pilots. They had relationships with their yep. machines. 
In the military, you know, ch- chilling as it might be to, to say, you have a relationship with your weapons, you know. Yeah. So you know, yep. for what they are, and uh, it, I, it just you see this this everywhere, and whether people know it or not, they certainly do. Certainly, the commuters may be listening. <laughs> Relationships with their cars may be codependent or something, but they still they have a relationship. Sure. Yeah. Well, you, you know, if I may say something, you know, there it, there does seem, and I'm sure as a as a pilot, sir, you can you can understand what I'm going to say about when I drive the same car every day. There almost seems to be a symbiotic relationship to muscle memory, where you just know exactly where to turn. <laughs> yeah. and, Absolutely and you know exactly, right. Yeah, yeah, and you just know exactly when you turn to the left or right, exactly you know it, like what point of left to go. And that that just that just connects. Same thing with a car. Yep, that 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 is so true. And you don't you don't learn that instantly. It takes you a lot of time with a car, with an airplane, to know just just how much to touch it, how how far to how far to control, uh, move the controls. And uh, and there have been times too uh, that I I think we talked about earlier today when it shouldn't have. Flown. I mean, that, uh, I was in um, a very short field uh, with an airplane. I said, "Yeah, okay, I think I can do this all right," and uh, and started the takeoff. And then I thought, "Oh my God, I'm not going to do it." And at that time, the airplane just flew, <laughs> and I, I I didn't understand why it flew. It was very very slow. Uh, but it flew, and we, and, and we crossed the trees, and, and then everything was normal again. Uh, what do I think about that? Uh, that that's a, a strange experience that's happened two or three times in my life. Oh, well, there you are. Yeah, it's, it's like you, like I was saying before, like the symbiotic relationship between, you know, the machine and the human being, but, but there's, there's a crossover there. It isn't just a human being. It isn't just the machine. There, I really do believe that there is some some energy or, or life force that gets to know you when you're in that that whether it be a car or or an airplane, and you just sort of like become one one together. If that makes any sense. Exactly right. You look at an airplane. You say, okay, you can't you can't fly by yourself. You look at me. And then you say, okay, Richard, you can't fly yourself. But by the time, just as you said, the symbiotic thing where you, you meld your capacities together and all of a sudden you're flying. And that's a magical time. And, um, and that, I've never forgotten that. That's well, I've always said I love flying. It's airplanes I can't stand. You know. but, uh, anyway, we're going to take a brief break here. Scott, thank you so much for calling in. Oh, thanks for taking uh, thank my call. You. Of course. Uh, we're going to have, we have to have a drawing this evening, if you'll just bear with us here for a minute, Richard, uh, for the free tickets to the uh, New Hampshire, the, I should say the New England uh, Parafest event in New Hampshire. On You, you can draw that. Shake them up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, on, on April 26th. And Ben and I will be speaking on poltergeists, experiences with them. And uh, we have a number of entries here, and uh, Ben's going to... You want me to pick? I can, I can, I can pick. Oh, you can pick. Uh, just, can just one. Okay, let's see. Great. All right, and we have... The winner is Yvette M. Ayat, I believe it's pronounced. 
I believe she's in our local listening area. She's uh, A-Y-O-A-Y-O-T, excuse me. You think you never know I lived in Northern Rhode Island. Yeah, supposed to be on. able to pronounce all the French names. Come on now, Dad. Okay, yeah. so uh, Yvette, we will be in touch with you. If you're listening, congratulations. If you're not, we'll be in touch with you by phone. And uh, you are the winner of the free tickets. Okay, for, for, thank you for all those who entered, and better luck next time, okay? The next time we do a drawing. Indeed. So, Richard, uh, thank you for your forbearance on that. Okay, now, we're, uh, the... Uh, one of, one of the notions, and I think we kind of get into that in discussing the so-called inanimate object, is something that we refer to as the uh, the consciousness nexus. I think I mentioned it before. There, is, there seems to be a certain center of consciousness where all the lives, if that if if we're right, all the lives sort of somehow come together. And and uh, Ben was uh, dazzled by a term I used in one show because we never discussed this. I called it the flashing nexus. Because we had a guest who was describing a near-death experience in which he began to wake up, and all of a sudden he was the nurse, or he was the doctor, or he was somebody out in the hallway. And he couldn't get over that. He never heard of it before. And so, yeah, that, that's the flashing nexus. Your, your consciousness is flashing to where you are, all these different people in different parts of the multiverse. At least that's how I, I, I interpret I've always interpreted it. So when you have this conscious nexus, I think that, is one of the reasons why you can be one, in a way, with so-called inanimate objects, be it airplanes or cars or whatever. Yeah. I mean, uh, do you, does that... Oh, what, that, what's that, that, that's a fascinating idea. And I'm, uh, I'm aware that normally, when you walk out to an airplane, and it's day, and it's out of the hangar, and you're flying, and that sort of thing, there's a different consciousness. What, what is interesting to do is... Go to the hangar when the, the airplane is is all tied down for the for the night, and spend that night under the wing of the airplane and see what you feel. It it is remarkable. I, at one time, I I had a little class in Embry Riddle in, in Florida, and I asked all all the kids who were there, uh, go go do this and see what happens to you. And they all came back with this strange sense of awareness of the airplane that they didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And uh, that may be exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's certainly, that's certainly a related. wonderful idea. I've never heard that before. Well so, said. So all kinds of people are not going to forgive us unless we ask you this question. What, you wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull, certainly tremendously, unbelievably famous book. How many uh, mil- tens of millions of copies in print? Uh, published in 1970, I believe, first edition. And you have since since revised that. So, yeah. I want you to let's before we burn up the hour here. I want to give you a chance to talk about that and what you've recently done about Illusions Two and uh, yeah. and way, where people can find out more. Your website, etc. Oh, books. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. I've got two websites. One's called JonathanLivingstonSeagull.com. And the other is richardbach.com. And they're both new. We just started in the last uh, month. Um, let's see. And then, uh, and, and whatever. <laughs> What's the question? <laughs> well, no, the, you said there was another website, too. Oh, uh, no, just those two. Oh, okay. in, in one, I, I talk about, uh, uh, I talk all about Jonathan. Things. Yes. And, and, oh, and, it, it wasn't revised, this new uh, uh, part of it. Okay. It was written at the same time, in 1970. Oh, but, but it never appeared in the... Fr- I guess. No, okay. and, and I said, no, this is not, this is not the world for this, this piece. This, this, 
this is not true, where, where there's, there's all kinds of authorities uh, around the, the seagulls that was telling them the, uh, the way to, to fly and all that kind of thing. I said, what? what? And, and I, I thought that I threw that away. There were just the first three parts, and that, that, was, that was a pretty good story. Yeah. Um, and oddly enough, about a year ago, uh, my friend uh, Sabrina came into the office and she had this thing, this sheaf of papers. And she said, have you seen this? And I said, no. She said, well, look at it. And it was a carbon copy of the, 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 the fourth part. <laughs> and I, I looked at it now, and now, <laughs> now it, it, it does make sense. Isn't that something? So we, we uh, sent it to the publisher, and she said, wow, yes. <laughs> so it, it's, it's out there now. Well, I have a bit of a personal story on that. Uh, I gave my mother your book for Christmas, 1971. Uh-huh. And lo- great lover of gulls, loved the ocean, because we lived in the coastal areas, and uh, I, her family had had a house in Maine for over 100 years. She used to just love the gulls. Well, I got more than I bargained for. She, uh, there were seagulls all over the house, uh, you know, <laughs> pictures and uh, people, somebody, I, f- I found a picture of, uh, she put Jonathan Livingston seagull under a picture of the gull. So you were a major influence on my high school years in a way. <laughs> and I finally read it myself and I said, this is really unusual, you know, and I, I love to see myself. Of course, I was on the Coast Guard and all that. Oh, and yeah. um, but, uh, and I, I just was really uh, very it was really kind of a fulfillment in a way, kind of a full circle kind of thing. When your publicist sent us a copy of the new, uh, uh, the new, uh, you know, ad, the, the with the edition in it, and, and I'm looking yeah. forward to reading that. So, so thank you for everything you've done. I really think that that's fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. Okay. It, it's a it's a strange thing that sometimes uh, people will will see the book and they'll or they, or they may read it and say, well, oh yeah, okay, uh, but then later in their life, years later. They'll read the same book and they'll say, "Oh my goodness, this that's applies. right." This yep. applies to me. That's right. So, what about illusions and illusions too? Well, just tell us about those. Oh, I, uh, illusions was uh, it was something. I, as I wrote that book, I would have a conversation with Donald Shimoda, the, the Messiah, who who had quit his job, and so I, I would ask him, and I I didn't know what he'd say. I'd, I'd just type out. What what I what I wanted to know, and, and there'd be some answer. And then one time there was, I, I had a, a question. I said, "Well, how do you get to be the Messiah?" Uh, well, that's a topic for another show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and there was no answer. And I said, "Well, my goodness, I guess I got it." And so I I, I left my my typewriter and went to the kitchen and had a potato chip. And, and when I sat down. He, he he was right there. He said, "They give you a book to read." Yeah. I said, "What? They give you a book to be to be the Messiah?" And then so that whole part uh, came to be, and uh, and so my relationship with this person, that as far as I know, has never had a body in this in this uh, this world. Uh, he's apparently a, a fictional person. Yeah, well, this is where the whole spirit guide thing kind of thing kind sure, of comes he, in. He's again. been a friend for a long, long time. Okay. And, and so he happened. He, he came into my life again during the crash. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's that's part of my recognition 
This is no accident. It's a blessing. And I, I had to work hard. For the first time in my life, my, my life has always been a charmed one. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've never had any, any problems with my body at all. And all of a sudden, here I was, and I, I had to work for a, a year just to be back to myself again. Yeah. And that was important for me. Mm-hmm. That I, I knew that, okay, this is how we, we work with it. Okay, we're getting a little short on time, expression. but I, I sorry to interrupt. But I just wanted to let you sure. just very briefly. What what's next for you? Uh, what what are you working on next? I don't have a clue. Okay, <laughs> that's an honest answer. <laughs> no, I, I write for I write for the two websites. Uh, that lots of interesting things that that I I, I don't want to uh, make into books, but they're events that are are quickly read, and uh, so I'm I'm doing a lot of those right now. Very good. Well, Richard Bach, a very interesting conversation, one of the more unusual conversations we've had on an unusual show lately. Yeah. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll, uh, we'd love to have you back uh, to continue uh, the discussion, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Right. Thank I you really very much. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Have a good night. Time for announcements. All righty. So we are going to get started with our announcements. You can uh, visit our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 550 free podcasts from both ON 1240 and our four-year run on uh, CBS Radio along with special shows and podcasts. We need more F-words in that statement because... <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we put it that way? Uh, no, free, 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 ON 1240 fours. Lots of fours, lots of frees, lots of froms. So that's free podcasts at our website. You can also check out our uh, site at www.newenglandghosts.com where there are case studies and photos along with articles by my dad. And especially if you did not win the contest tonight, you're still invited to come to the uh, April 26th event in Nashua, New Hampshire. Uh, you can check out the uh, New England Parafest uh, online. That's what's going to be Essex County Ghost Project. Dot org. You can find my my books on Barnes and Noble Nook e-reader and Amazon Kindle, Amazon.com, etc., etc. But if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you, and you'll be able to help us keep those podcasts free. All right. And uh, next week, uh, on uh, Monday, April uh, 14th, right here on WON1240 and ONWorldwide.com, my dad and I will bring you an open line show for the first time in forever. <laughs> and those emails have uh, been piling up because we've had some few open line shows lately. I don't even remember when the last one was. It was a while. It well, was, we had, you know, was a while ago. CBS drying up, we have uh, twice the slots, and uh, I should say half the slots and twice the guests. Yes, exactly. So get your questions to us at paulisbehindtheparanormal.com, or you can call in, and don't forget about our Facebook page. You can uh, send us a message via our Facebook page as well. That's Paul Ben. Uh, that's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on that's uh, Facebook. One. Okay. And we leave you this evening with a thought from the great American spiritual writer Thomas Merton to one of whose relatives I was talking last night, Ben. I didn't tell you that. Oh, really? Quote, pride makes us artificial and humility makes us real, unquote. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.